1: Hello and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Vaux Brewery. I'm your host for this week, Johnny Goldsmith, again, back again. Unfortunately, Alex is not here this week. Um, But we do have a great cast here today. We have Tom Albrighton. Good afternoon. Yes, we have Sam. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. And we also have ITV at Time Tees, Simon O'Rourke. Hello. Nice to be here. Yes. So, this week... Um, you could listen to any podcast from the last few weeks. It's going to be the same sort of topic of conversation. Sunderland didn't win yesterday at all. We we drew with Blackpool one-one. Guys, uh, let's go through the game. Tell me what was your thoughts on the game? Tom, we'll start with you.
0: Well, where do you start, really? Uh, well, it was a pathetic start for for the most part. I think the way we came out and the way Blackpool came out was just it was not on, especially for a side who are struggling. Basically, in relegation form, mm-hmm. to come out and start the way they did was just quite frankly embarrassing. Fair play to them a bit, they did kind of get themselves together, start to get back into the game. Um, Charlie Wake's goal, it's fair enough, it was a good goal, you know, but after that, the game just kind of fizzled out in, in the second half, even before we went down to 10 men. Just felt like we were playing for the draw, and I think the only reason we ended up with a point was because Blackpool came out second half and it was kind of the same. I think both sides mm-hmm. were just happy to settle for a point. So all in all, a bit shite.
1: Tom? Uh, sorry, Sam. <laughs> Sam.
3: I agree, pretty much. Um, just the worst possible start. You, you're thinking it's going to be bad when you're going, but I don't think you really thought you were going to be sitting there three minutes in with 1-0 down already mm-hmm. and haven't played as badly as we did. But I guess you can say we improved after the goal and came back into it, but Looking at the game, really, unless I'm forgetting anything, we only really created, I think, two chances from two corners. Other than that, I can't remember seeing a passing move, put together a good crossing the box with loads of people in there. Just It's a bit stale at the moment, but mm-hmm. I guess you'd look at it as a positive. We've got a point, but at home, the Blackpool, if that was under Jack Ross, would be going mental. So, mm-hmm. disappointing again, really, overall. Simon? Um.
4: I did go to the match. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I didn't think it was a good game of football. I didn't think Sunderland played particularly well. They did play better than they've played over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So if we're grading on a curve and it's a very low curve, they it was a slight improvement yesterday. It was ever so slightly better. But... I reserve the right to say that if it was ever so slightly better than it has been, it's still nowhere near good enough.
1: Mm-hmm. With a performance like that, if we played Blackpool, haven't had a decent run, and then drew 1-1 with them, would we be? Would it be considered a bad result? I mean, obviously, we've had a bad run, but if we didn't, you know, five wins in a row or something, and then this, would that still be... Would it be as disappointed as you are, or what do you think? We'd probably be more disappointed, to be honest, because yeah. I think, like
3: Simon said, sort of the only... Real positive wouldn't take is that it's been slightly better than recent weeks, mm. but that just in some way highlights just how bad we've been over the last month or so, even mm. longer than that. So, I think what you're saying is if we were playing normally and up where we should be, and then we came out with yesterday's performance, would be would be slating
1: them even worse, to be honest. Yeah. So, the lineup, of what do we think of that? What more than uh, Maguire back involved? What was the formation? 3-5-2, 5-3-2, 7-0-3? It was 3 asking, in the back, uh, agree, yeah. really, it, it was kind of hard to work out <laughs> yeah. times. I mean,
4: Debob played as a as as one of the back three. Um but after that it was a little bit hard to make <laughs> out sometimes quite how it was. Uh, but it just did there's very little flow to it. Um, I, I can't see a pattern. that I haven't really seen a pattern uh, since Phil Parkinson has been in charge. There was that bizarre outlier game against Tranmere where they look very good. But I, one of the facts about that is the plain and simple. Tranmere were rubbish that mm. night mm. and Sunderland just ran all over them. But they've never got anywhere near that again. And I don't know what he wants. I don't know what the plan is. They had 10 days before the Gillingham game where they had a break because they were out of the FA Cup and they came back and played and I still couldn't work out what the plan was. They're going to have another 10 days now and I'm pretty sure that on boxing day I still won't know what the plan is.
0: I think the only actual plan from what I can see and especially the last two lineups is the only plan I can see is just don't get beat. I think that is that is honestly where he's at. I think he's had such a bad start and the pressures on well the pressure was on from the moment he came in really because he was given that when he was given that kind of ultimatum of you've been brought in to take this side up because the manager before wasn't and he's had that catastrophic of a start he's like right well the first thing we need to do is stop getting beat and then once we stop getting beat then we can start trying to find a way to win but we should not be in that situation at all Mm -hmm. really
4: I find it very weird. It's like the life cycle of a manager. Certain things usually happen and it's just all accelerated with Phil Parkinson. Like uh Everything that you associate with the end of a manager's time is already happening with Phil Parkinson. Uh
0: I mean, if anything summed Sunderland up in a moment and it wasn't even related to what was happening on the pitch really, was there was a moment where the physio came on the field and the physio even pulled his own hamstring when he was coming onto the field. And I just thought if that was Sunderland encapsulated in 30 seconds, that in the current stage that is it, a okay. physio running on the field pulling a muscle That's <laughs> us. Uh,
1: well, we'll get through the three word reviews as well, we have over a hundred but um, our wonderful Craig has uh, tried to find the most positive ones so we'll get through these ones Martin Wanless says, delaying the inevitable so I don't know if the inevitable is sacking the manager or relegation but we'll, we'll discuss that, Neil Chandler, League One nobodies, Al Smith, mid-table obscurity, Jodie Linskill lost all interest 1973, Mackham, club slowly dying, Paul Anderson, League Two beckons, Oscar Brown, sword, 100-point comedy, Cookie Cat, never 30,000. And that are the positive ones. So, <laughs> what <laughs> that tells you how things are going. Um, so, Martin says he's delaying the inevitable. Are we talking about, I guess he means sacking
0: the manager, or does he mean relegation? I, I don't know. Well, I think in this current scenario, he could, could quite easily mean both. Mm. Essentially the club is in relegation form, have been for a few weeks now and the only way to solve that issue is to sack the manager. If you're not going to sack the manager, you're going to end up getting relegated, aren't you? It's, it's as simple as that. So I think that's quite a pertinent three, three-word three review there because it, yes. <laughs> it takes on multiple meanings, doesn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what do you think of the game, Sam, yesterday when we've obviously had Simon Grayson as manager? does Did Blackpool play like the Simon Grayson team when that the we had? Or did they play it differently to what we've seen from him? Um, I thought they played all right, but to be honest, I was looking at it in the second half, and
3: even before we went down to ten men, I just thought we were there for the taking, and I, I couldn't believe even well specifically when we had ten men, they didn't really go for it that much. Mm-hmm. They sort of like Tom said, they looked happy for a point, and I, I was seeing the uh, woman next to me. I was saying if they if they really went for it, they, they probably could have easily won two, one, three, one in the end. We were just just passive really but then it sort of just petered out in the end and i think everyone just wanted a point which was strange but maybe grayson just wanted to come back and not get humiliated i guess Mm -hmm.
1: i was thinking it was very poetic justice was going to happen where he would get the win here after being uh putting a poor light on netflix so he says yeah Mm. um but it didn't happen that way but the first goal simon the the goal where virtue gets what a great name by the way Virtue gets this shot from outside the box, and surely there's no stopping that. It's a good goal, but look at what happened in the build-up. It
4: it came from a set piece, if I remember, and um, basically no one took responsibility for clearing it. Um, The defenders all just stood round and thought, well, who's going to sort of clear this? And it never properly got cleared, and then from the recycle, that's when the goal was scored. No, the goal's a great finish. I I haven't got a problem with that, but the opportunity for that finish should never have occurred,
0: uh, and it's symptomatic of where they are at the moment. Mm. Yes,
1: and then you look at our
0: goal. Sorry, Tommy. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, we we discussed that goal in the crowd with a few guys around us and there was a bit of a disagreement on Sean McLaughlin who came out and collected at least one of those looping balls. Now, I feel like as a goalkeeper, you should be doing that. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is we had a goalkeeper on the bench who wouldn't have thought twice about coming to collect either of those balls when they were in the air. Yes.
1: And we also have our goal to talk about, which... Phil Parkinson did say Charlie Wyke thrives on crosses, and well, Maguire crosses the ball in from a corner, and he scores the goal. So, and he has hit the bar. Did I did. I believe he hit the bar. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He did. One, yeah? Yeah. And he scored last week, although it wasn't given. So, could Charlie Wyke be the one to bring the goals to this team? Perhaps, or are <laughs> we? Is it past that now? Yes, he can, but he won't score enough. Hmm.
4: Um, he's not going to be a prolific goal scorer he's not going to get 20 goals between now and the end of the season he's not that sort of striker yeah he'll, he might function alright he's one of the few people who might actually benefit from the way that Phil Parkinson wants to play um, but he's not going to score enough he's not going to be the answer they won't
0: get promoted just with Charlie Wyke up front and playing the way that they're trying to play at the moment whatever way that is yeah. you see the owners talked about underlying data analytics and all that when they were sat on the last manager and we've run a few articles and various things. I've done one, Greg. I think Steve done a really good one, sort of looking at the points per game and stuff. But the issue for me isn't actually the strikers as, as a whole, because we're not creating enough chances to to feed strikers properly. Um like League One strikers are fundamentally flawed in the fact that very few of them are efficient. Hence why mm-hmm. Josh Madger stood out like a sore thumb in this division because he is expected goals, and the rest were astronomical that were a level above this. So to get your strikers scoring goals, you have to create a hell of a lot of chances. Mm -hmm. When you look at teams like Peterborough, who have goal scorers in their side, they're creating 18, 19, 20 chances a game, and they're still only scoring two or three goals. So you can see that the strikers aren't, you know, strikers aren't as efficient at this level as they are at an elite level. So you have to create those number of chances. I don't even think we had more than, two or three shots on target yesterday so it's very we can you know you can blame Greg you can blame Mike and yes they may score scored now and again but problem is if you're not creating the chances for these strikers you're not going to score goals and it's just it's as simple as that really
4: yeah I agree Madge papered over a lot of the cracks yeah. um, in the first half of last season because he was very mobile, and you see the success he's starting to have mm. in France now. He, he, he was too good for that division, and unfortunately, they weren't able to keep hold of him. Remember that goal he scored against Barnsley, which he basically made for himself? Yeah. Now, Sunderland haven't got a striker now who can do that. They only have functional strikers who will finish chances if presented with them. But as
0: you quite rightly point out, they're not getting presented with chances. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, kind of when I was doing doing the digging on the Greg pieces, you do, you have a look at it, and it's a thing across the league, is is essentially the strikers in this division are, are needing four or five chances to score one goal, so when you're only getting two or three chances a game, strikers are starting to snap at the chances, and you see it with the chances that Greg's missed in the past, because they know that he's only going to get one or two chances a game, rather than he thinks, well... If this one misses, I'm going to get another one in five, ten minutes' time and, you know, another ten minutes and that. It never seems with us that there's going to be a chance waiting round the corner again. It's like everything seems guilt-edged at the moment because there's so few and far between. Did we play better um, with ten men or did,
1: did it any improvement or did it get worse or what do you think? Any, anyone?
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, it the game had sort of finished by the time um, George Dobson was sent off. It, it, it was kind of, by, by which I mean, it had petered out into the point where both teams were fairly happy with the point, I think. And Blackpool, at that point, were either too tired or too bored or whatever to step up a gear when they had an opportunity mm. against 10 men. Um, it, it, not a lot happened. You wouldn't really have known it was 10 against 11 for the last 15 minutes. It was fairly comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yes. So apparently Will Greg has been linked with a loan move to Blackpool so would we, I mean, I personally would let him go, but would would you let him go to Blackpool and then we get in somebody else, potentially? That's the big question, if we were to get someone
3: else in and who it would be. But mm. uh, See, I've, I've always sort of, well, not his corner because some of the chances he's missed and people question his worry and everything. But I think it is time to just say, look, it's not working. But it, it depends on the deal because if he goes and then we're looking at Charlie White, who, yeah, we've said does look better in racing weeks but like Simon said he's not going to he's not going to turn into Madger or get the amount of goals in McNulty he offers something different but similar with him I don't think he's going to get loads of goals he might chip in here and there but it's all about bringing one in in January and hopefully we've got people lined up but it's, it's always a hard window January to 10 people to move away especially when we're sat what 12th or 14th in the league or whatever so it's very hard
4: for Sunderland to shift Will Greg. Um, in the position they're in because he's a highly paid player at League One level. And the I've seen the reports about the, the potential loan moves to Blackpool. Blackpool couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. So, the only way they'd do it would be by cheekily saying, "Well, we'll take him off here, but you're going to have to pay two thirds of his wages and there's just no point in that mm-hmm. um yeah. also potentially strengthening a rival, although you know strengthening will Grigg goal scoring record at the minute. Yeah. People might sort of want to play around with that sentence, but it just doesn't really make any sort of financial or sporting sense for them to loan him out to another league one club if they could sell him permanently or if even if almost take his contract off your hands, fine. But I just don't see that that's going to happen given the form he's been in for 12 months.
1: Mm. Yes, he's been so disappointing. Um, I think I mentioned in the group chat yesterday when he came on, it's like you may as well have just not brought anybody on. It would just be as useful as bringing on Will Greig because he's really just dreadful at the moment. There's nothing from him at all. Uh, Which is a real shame because, as I said, I I feel like if he goes anywhere else, he'll score goals. Yeah, it'll happen. You know (laughs) that'll happen. Yes. Yeah, probably. It is.
4: It's not the system, the sort of system that Will Grigg thrives in. It's not the sort of football. Yeah, I mean, when he's been playing up front in recent weeks, the ball's getting sort of blasted at him at shoulder height and he's Mm. supposed to do something with it. And he's not that sort of forward. He's not got the build of Charlie Wyke. He's not particularly there for hold-up play. He's a fox-in-the-box player. Mm. And it they haven't played to his strengths. Um, if anything, they're playing to his weaknesses. So I'd, again, I, I'm with you. To an extent, I've I've always felt a little bit of sympathy for yeah. him. But ultimately, he has to carry the can for not scoring enough mm. goals.
1: Yeah. Stuart Donald was supposedly at the game yesterday. Well, he, he was. was the game, yes. Um, could he be really happy with what he's saying at the moment from Phil Parkinson, though? After the
0: uh, I'll take that one. No. no. In, in no way. And I think what what sums Parkinson up and this may end up delving into a monologue but if for me he showed the kind of I don't know if it's respect is the right word but he showed where he's at where he couldn't come out after eight weeks in a job and face a press conference where he drew 1-1 at Blackpool if you've not got the bottle to come out and you know he has said it in recent weeks we're not good enough must try harder this and the other some of his comments quite frankly are taking the fans for mugs few weeks ago it's a must try harder game it's not a must try harder fill game it's a must win game because you've got the club in relegation form now if you can't own that as a manager come and stand in front of the press take a half a dozen questions or whatever before turning away you aren't fit for this role you know I've seen managers I've seen was it Steve Bruce pumped 5-1 away at Newcastle He's still come out, done his press conference. We've had managers come out, do press conferences when we've been relegated. It's part and parcel of the job. If you've not got the bottle and you've not got the self respect to come out, face a series of questions, just walk away. And I think it's at the point if he's not going to be sacked, he needs to look inside himself. And yes, he's, you know, it's asking someone to walk away from a lot of money. But for his own dignity, and I think for the respect, not even from Sunderland fans, maybe from other people in the sporting world, he needs to walk away because I think things like yesterday, the mount up and mount up and it just shows that he's a, he's definitely out of his depth and there's no shame in being out of your depth. Sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up, say, I took the chance, I can't do this and walk away and nobody would be angry for him because I remember when Dick Advocate done it and everyone kind of just come round to the thing and went, well, you had the honesty to say, I can't, I can't improve this, I can't handle this. So you walked away to give someone who can do it the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think that we could follow the Bournemouth model of Eddie Howe, obviously, he's their manager and he's been there for a long time. I'm not saying Phil Parkinson would be that man, but maybe bring someone in, let's say Kevin Phillips, and just say to him, okay, he's the team, and just leave him to do what he wants to
0: do with it. To an extent, possibly. Um, it's a risk, but I think the, the main thing is is you've got to have... A system around it you've got to be built into something so Bournemouth and Eddie Howe that wasn't an accident it wasn't oh we'll just stick with them Say how it goes there was planning planning and more planning that went into that it was the whole thing was meticulous from ground level up The changed the structure of the club structure of the boardroom transfer policies the changed the training ground and all that kind of stuff so it wasn't just an overnight accidental thing. That took years and years and years of building up. So if we are going to do that, someone needs to someone at the top or whoever it may be needs to come in and go, this is what we're going to do and set the groundwork for that. Because we've had the owners come in and they discuss the Dortmund model and all that, you know, when they walk through the door. But there's been absolutely no sign of any implementation of that at all. Hmm. So you you know what you've got to do is you've got to come in and you've got to set it up around it and then if we have a couple of lean years in League One but the fans can get together and go well this is part of a process for something bigger people will stand for that but it's when we're doing things like we're doing now where there just seems no building for the future is that's when people can't take that that kind of lulling results
4: Can I pick your comment oh, on that a bit? I think you that's absolutely how football clubs should be run Yeah Absolutely um, and Sunderland fans, given what they've gone through, I think uh, just incredible. I think they're absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. But the the scenario you described there, Sunderland had the perfect man to be the guy who you just give it to, mm-hmm. in Jack Ross. Yeah, mm-hmm. and by the time Jack Ross lost his job, a lot of the Sunderland fans seemed to be not having him anymore. Yeah. So, c- can you ever actually? In an emotive, passionate place like Sunderland, can you ever actually have that patience to to give somebody the keys to the car and say, "You've got three years, and providing there are not obvious problems like f- fighting against relegation, it's yours, and we want you to grow at the club." Can you can you ever actually get that situation at Sunderland?
0: Possibly. It is. I think it is. It's a fair point to make. As we are quite, we can be quite demanding. But I would say at the same time, has come the point that Jack Ross left, and we're all aware now there was things happening at the club which were kind of Jack Ross wasn't just fighting against results; he was fighting against a lot of other things. So, to an extent, yes, and to an extent, no. Because I think if if somebody came out and says this is how bad it is behind the scenes, or as this is what's happening behind the scenes. People may have been more patient with Jack Ross, but on the flip side of that, they would have then been less patient with the ownership because of the problems that were, you know, the problems that were underlying. Then you would have the situation where the ownership or whoever's running the f- running the football club at that level would have to then come out, say, yes, we aren't doing this, we aren't doing that, and then address those issues. And then if those issues weren't addressed going forward, the pressure then mounts on the board. So from, an, from a board perspective, you can see that it may be easier just to let the manager take the flak for that rather than take the flak themselves. But it it all hinges on how open and honest everybody wants to be about it because obviously we had the short years where everything was just behind an iron curtain effectively. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, is it a case of better the devil, you know? Do we just keep on blaming the managers? It's, mm-hmm. I think it opens, it's a fair point, but it opens up a whole you know there's, there'll be a thousand ways of looking at it really i don't think there's one specific you can't go yes or no mm-hmm. you know straight down the middle kind of thing mm-hmm. um
4: the the press conference thing yesterday i i was i was there at the press conference um when steve parkin came up and not phil parkinson and again it shows the situation that we live in um that the first question I felt I had to ask Steve Parkin was, is there any particular reason why you're here? Thinking, is there another meeting going on in a different room in this building that we're going to need to know about? And there wasn't. It was just Phil Parkinson's odd decision not to come up and face the questions about his team's performance. Um, A managerial change is supposed to improve the situation. There's supposed to be the dead cat bounce, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Every single conceivable thing about Sunderland's football team has got worse since Jack Ross left and Phil Parkinson took over Mm. Um, it's quite it's quite hard because I see him every week and that kind of thing I'm I think it's a it's a bit more nuanced than just saying they've got to sack him but it's about two months he's been in the job and the general football way of life is that that is no length of time to give a man to implement what he wants to do and I think by and large you've still got to kind of say, well, that's fine. I mean, if I was doing a job and even if I wasn't doing it very well and somebody sat me after two months, i think, well, give me a chance. But I think having these conversations is entirely appropriate. I don't think that we are being out of order. I don't think Sunderland fans are out of line. I don't think anybody is saying anything that isn't justified by questioning the manager's position already yeah. because every conceivable thing
0: has got worse. Yeah, I would say, like, you know, I did they had a little bit of a rant and say, you know, say maybe I'm not saying that Phil Parkinson's a bad man. I'm not saying, that he, you know, he's probably, you know, he could be a really nice bloke. I'm not trying to assassinate the character of the person there. But what I am trying to point out is that the man at the football club and the man away from the football club are two, for me, the two separate things, you know, as you like say, he could be a lovely family man. He could be really nice. But at the football club, he does need to hold himself to a level where, you know, little things like you do come out and you do face the press. You know, even if it's going wrong, because it's one of those in it, own your mistakes. People like it when you own your mistakes. So, if you know, even if we've got to hide and you would come out and went, yeah, you know what it is, we were shite again. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, because you'll be out there if you win 3-0 going, oh, well, how good were we today? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you've got to, you know.
4: It's why I don't understand why he didn't come up. It It, it wasn't a good look. Because he did come up after the Burton defeat, yeah, and they were awful, and he he was given you know a fair old grilling that night after that game, and he admitted that after Burton scored what turned out to be the winning goal, essentially Sunderland stopped playing, and he said that, yeah, and whilst you can ask, well, if you're managing the team, why does that happen? Um, at least, as you say, he owned it, yeah, and. So it just makes it more strange to me that after a performance that, you know, was incrementally better, he didn't come up yeah. and answer
0: questions. I, th- I think what kind of just what baffled me is that you see when you when you reference back to the Burton game and he comes out and he owns his mistakes. It's as, if, as a fan group, is if a manager comes out and he's just honest and, you know, because we can see it as well as him, if he's just honest, especially for someone like Parkinson, who wasn't the most popular appointment anyway, just to come out and be honest... Maybe not David Moyes' levels of, oh, well, we're in a relegation battle after three games. Like, not that bad. But if you just come in and go, well, yeah, you know, like yesterday, all you has got to do is go, well, we improved, but we haven't improved enough. You know, and just, just be honest. And if he was just a bit more honest and a bit, you know, he, he wasn't trying to hide it as much, you know, because I kind of feel like he tries to dress it up a little bit and always put a little bit of positivity on it, which is fair enough he wants to. But just come out, just be honest and go. Look, it was awful. We, you know, we were awful. But I'm going to do this, this, this to fix it. And then a lot of the fans would be like, right, well, fair enough, because you know what's went wrong. But you've you've told her well, how you're going to fix it, and then people will give him a bit more time and a bit be a bit more patient, which is fair enough. We're not we're not an unreasonable bunch of fans. You know what I mean? It's
1: just want a bit of honesty from the from the manager. Yeah, uh-huh.
3: yeah. he hasn't helped himself a few times now. There's been a few things he's done or said where you're just thinking like he knows the fan. well, some fans might be against him or whatever. And he's just like, was it after Gillingham where he said, we're giving a good go? Or what, what game was that? Where we're, it
4: was the cup replay. The cup replay.
3: And he said, we rolled our slaves up and give it a good go. And you, you're just thinking like, he he must be saying that, knowing the reaction he's going to get. He can't be saying that unless he genuinely believes it in himself after watching the game that we all watched. But, but like you say, yesterday, not coming out and doing the, press conference it's just strange and he, he must know how that's going to look and reflect and yeah. it's either he's not bothered or he's just fed up or whatever but it's just you just want to come out and take ownership like you said because after Burton although it was pathetic when he said to stop playing it was worrying but you you do sort of think well he I, I knew that so at least he's being honest and he's admitted it but that's all we want
1: from fans about
3: honesty and just take responsibility for what's happening really
1: yeah so i was looking at the attendance announced yesterday which was 30,595 now i wasn't there as i say but um led to believe it was nowhere near that amount um so sam i was just going to ask more and more fans staying away do you think a boycott will do anything i mean if fans aren't coming to games then obviously they are boycotting but then they're announcing attendance is like 30,000 um, so what, what needs to be done in that? Do you think fans should more fans should just stop going? It it all depends, I mean we were talking just before we were recording about Boxing Day and stuff
3: mm. like that, and we're seeing the culture up here, it's it's not so much even the ninety minutes of football, it's 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 a day out, it's seeing your mates who you might not always see, it's family time, having a few drinks. I mean, I've just booked with me mates sixteen seated to go down to Doncaster for the day and I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't even thought about the 90 minutes of football, and I'm sure it'll probably be the worst part of the day. But mm-hmm. That's just the culture of me, you go at the match, but I don't blame fans who stayed away. It's, it's crossed my mind a few times, and I I probably would never not go, but the fact it's crossed my mind, I'm sitting in the house dreading having to leave, or having to leave the pub, it's just it's dark times, really, and we just need something to get fans through the door. Look at last last year's Boxing Day, look at the contrast now, it's, it's just... It, you couldn't. If someone told you last Boxing Day what was going to be happening in a year's time, you would think well, what, something astronomical has went wrong, and they're not far, you're not far wrong with thinking that. Really, it's not boycott. It's not protest. It's just mm. the worst thing about it is
0: just, it's just, just people can't be asked. Yeah. 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 yeah, they're not enjoying it, so they're not going. Yeah. I think it gets dangerous when people get as apathetic as we are now. Like I was seeing before this is the last twenty minutes of the game. Me and my cousin just stood there, and we were just taking the Mick. Like we were just having a laugh and carry on, and it's like because mm. if if we weren't having a laugh and carry on, you like we would have we would have left, you know, we would have left, or we would have just been screaming into the yeah. abyss, kind of thing, you know. What, I mean? what terrifies me is how quickly it's happened, because
4: from the point of view of storytelling, covering a club last season was actually a a a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. The story of Sunderland season, two trips to Wembley. Nearly got there. Yes, you can't deny that ultimately it ended in failure, but it, but it was an interesting story and there was fun
3: yeah. to
4: be had on the way. And it's just desolate now. I looked this up. I found a good website, which you can get a league table for any day in history. Um, so we're recording this on the Sunday, the 15th of December. Yeah. On the 15th of December, one year ago, Sunderland were third in the table, but there were five points behind Portsmouth with two games in hand. They had 43 points, they'd played 20 games, they'd won 12, drawn 7 and lost 1. Coincidentally, the team currently running away with League 1, Wickham, have played 20 games, won 12, drawn 7 and lost 1. Um, now, they've got 27 points from 19 games and they're in a historical low point for the club. And it's just it's just fallen off the edge of a cliff. And that that's what's so frightening about it. Yeah. Um, board members have left the managerial change hasn't worked the fans who've been absolutely magnificent supporting them for the best part of 18 months in League One are now starting to drift away it's terrifying at the minute
0: I think something that's triggered that fan drop off as well is, like you alluded to last season though was last season although sometimes the football wasn't good the matches were entertaining Yeah, I used to you know it's like one match that stuck in my mind was The Coventry game was the only game we got beat at home last season, 5-4. Some of the worst defending I've ever seen on a football field. But that was the most entertaining loss I've ever seen us be involved in. It was, for a neutral, that was probably one of the best games of football you'll watch. Mm -hmm. I remember the Peterborough game at home, 2-2, when Oviedo got sent off. Again, not an ideal result. Thoroughly entertaining, absolutely brilliant. So even though... The quality was poor. The entertainment value was high because you never knew what you were going to get. And that's the kind of thing with League One in it is because you can call like the Tramere game, for example. If one team turns up and one team doesn't, League One's this unique little bubble where you can scud a team five or six nil. And it's fantastic when it happens and you never know when it's going to happen. But I think this season is just that entertainment aspect has just dwindled so rapidly. The last time I was... Really entertain at a game. I I mean I didn't find the Tramia game for all we won five five nil or whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't find that awfully entertaining. I just essentially I thought that game there was three or four shots where you're like, I right, we've got a bit lucky and and whatnot. But mm-hmm. the only game that's really entertained me this season, apart from that, was the three nil against Wimbledon. I thought that was an entertaining game of football, and that was just before. Was it? I think that was one of the last games I thoroughly enjoyed before mm-hmm. Ross left and. I think it's quite telling how unentertaining and uninspiring the football is at the moment.
4: Yep. yep. And uh, I mean, I suppose that perhaps leads on to the point of McGeady, doesn't it? You know, who was a, an entertaining footballer, isn't? can be an entertaining footballer, and, and now it seems won't be playing for the football club <laughs> anymore, which is another development of the week, obviously.
1: Yes, so we'll move on to that one since we're on that subject. Um, yeah, McGeady, so we're hearing, may never play for Sunderland again. Uh, I believe when he was here, when Chris Coleman was here, he criticised the way he was playing then as well. Yes. So he seems to be someone who doesn't hide away from telling the manager how it is. Um, we we obviously like someone like that who's honest. Uh, Whose side are we on here? Do, do we are we uh,
0: on the Gady side? And... No, I've got sprint as my arse. I'm on the fence because okay. I think I think from from the reports, it sounds like McGee has been out of order in an aspects. Mm. Um, but at the same time, the manager should be able to control the egos in the dressing room.
1: Yeah.
0: But in in fairness to Parkinson, we've criticised him. But I've always I've always had the belief, there's no player bigger than a football club. And what Parkinson's done is, McGeady's underperformed this season. There's no secret there. I don't think he's been anywhere near as good as what he can be. Mm-hmm. And Parkinson, in fairness to him, has stood up and went, if you think you're bigger than this team... You go find you go find someone else because this is not a team built on in. You don't build a team on individuals. You build a team to be a, you know greater than the sum of the parts. So fair, you know, well, people can slag Parkinson. If McGeady's been out of line and Parkinson's put you know drawn the line in the sand and says you've overstepped it, that's you gone. Then fair play because if Roy Keane had done that everybody would be waxing lyrical about how Roy Keane takes no shit and Roy Keane this and Roy mm-hmm. Keane that. So, yeah. you know, credit where credit's due. I think Parkinson's done the right thing, but at the same time, I would like to know what's happened in the dressing room that's taken us to that, you know, to the brink point.
1: Yes. Right.
3: So, Yeah, I agree, really. Um, it's hard because as much as I want McGeady in the team and I know he's underperformed, he's still he's still got it one, well, I think, realistically, the only player... We'll, have or had that could just turn a game on its head and can turn any game on its head but like Tom said um, the players sometimes think they're bigger than managers and although Partinson's not doing a great job he's the boss and he's in charge so if he's just turned around and said look you're out of line then he's well within his rights to do that and I think we should uh, we should stand by Partinson because if that was any other manager or a manager that was doing well, if that was Phillips, for example, who'd came in and done that would all mm-hmm. be saying, Oh, he's, he's doing a great job, he's yeah. showing the move's boss. So we need to know well, I don't know if we're ever gonna know, but without knowing the ins and outs on face value, it's it's disappointing to lose a player like McGeady, but on face value it's probably the right decision from Partinson. If he's if he's felt like he has to do that, then McGeady's obviously done something or done a number of things that have driven him to that point.
4: I think Sam and Thomas it exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the situation. If if a decision has been taken that things have got that bad that they want to move him on, then fine. I, I think that's a grown up way of looking at it. That, that you've yeah. got about the manager's decision in that place. <clears throat> a thing that is, is, it's brought home to me, perhaps, is quite how much um, they mislead Catamol off the pitch yes. as well as on the pitch, yes. uh, yeah. and to an extent George Honeyman as well, who, who did yeah. have some some leadership about him. But but Catamol ran the dressing room basically yeah. and performances like the one against Burton in the second half and that sort of thing. They just wouldn't have happened because you wouldn't have had it. And yeah. whatever's happened with McGeady. I, I think if you had that sort of dominant alpha character in the dressing room, I don't think that sort of thing would have happened. And I think they do. Obviously I think they miss him on the pitch as well, but I think, I think they miss that sort of presence. I definitely think that. Yeah.
1: Um, so one of the questions I got from Leon M 2056, I'll put this to you, Simon. How bad do things have to get before the media start to openly criticize the manager and owner instead of tiptoeing around the matter um from what i from what I heard from you yesterday, you mentioned that uh, you were the only one at the press on Thursday who pushed an answer on the McGee situation. Everyone else took it at face value, so uh, I guess like you don't seem to be one of the people who do that. You'll ask the questions, and uh Simon and Leon here is asking though, yeah. Is there a time when the media will start criticizing the ownership for the way things are going or does that Well, um right, let's let's have a go at that. Let's dig into that a bit. First of all, I think
4: I've spent the best part of half an hour already yeah, yeah. not being particularly nice about the manager. Absolutely, yeah. Um the ownership's a bit a bit more difficult. We ask to speak to the owners mm. regularly. Um a lot of the time, um, we are politely declined the opportunity to speak to them. Um you can make phone calls, but people don't have to answer your phone calls. Um, it can be hard to actually get into a position to ask the questions that fans sometimes suggest that we don't ask. Yes, it can be quite hard to do it. Um, and like every job, you've you, I've been doing this a long time, and you've you've got to build relationships and maintain relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you build a relationship properly as as a journalist, and uh, then people who know you should know that you you will ask the questions because that's your job um it's just hard to sometimes get the opportunity Mm -hmm. I can't say I can't make a phone call now and say right I want Stuart Donald in front of my camera tomorrow and I've got a list of 10 questions that I know the fans want asked Mm -hmm. um you guys had the the best opportunity to do that at the start of his reign when he'd come in here regularly and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's not Actually, is easy for the mainstream media to get in front yes. of these people all the
3: time.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think asking media to come out and criticise the club is kind of on the unprofessional side of things in that regard. And, t- and like, so yeah, it's a question that it's probably not really a good question. Now, it's not. It's not. I, I, I saw that one
4: just as I was walking up. I saw that. I saw that very question on Twitter um, to the person who's posted it. It's absolutely fine to ask that question. It's just quite a complicated answer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, any arguments on to keep Phil Parkinson? This is from Aside Butch. He says, this is a man who was hired to get us promotion. This was his remit and his first presser. He said he was here to get an extra 10-15% out of the players. Here we are two months later with two wins in 13. And I don't remember if I heard the club use the word promotion. So do we have any positives for maybe keeping him through potentially a transfer window at least, given the end of the season, Any anything? No, not really. No. Not, not in my no. opinion. Like no. I mean, there's an argument,
3: like Simon was saying. You look at face value of two months in any line of work. It's not, it's not a significant amount of time. But no, I really don't. You look at relegation form. I mean, you can't. I don't think there's an argument against the fact that he's he's we're in relegation form under him. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm try, I'm I'm really trying, but no, not really. I mean, there's the argument for January, but. Should he, should he be trusted with the money? Get his own players in, and then it's still not working. And we sack him. A new manager comes in with all these players who were, who were brought in for Partington's style of football, whatever that actually is. So mm-hmm. no, I I think it looks like we are keeping them. So I guess pray and hope that January does turn us around. But no, not really. He hasn't. He hasn't done anything in my eyes to warrant even asking the fans to get behind him a little bit, really. Not not one thing that springs to mind. What do you think, Tom?
0: Well, well I
1: think I know what your answer will be. But,
0: yeah, uh... not <laughs> well, yeah. I yeah, I think the disappointing thing with the Parkinson, the whole appointment was, is I made a very bold claim, you will may remember, in the group. And I said I didn't think he'd make the end of the season. I didn't think he was a correct appointment for the squad we had. Mm-hmm. Um, reasons for keeping him now seem to stem from I think the ideal candidates we had for the job are now either doing very well in League One or have moved to other clubs very recently. And the second one would be, it felt like when we sat Ross, there wasn't much of a plan for how long it took to appoint. Now you see other clubs, especially Premier League recently, three or four managers are gone. There's not been a a long window. I know they've appointed interim managers. Fair enough, if you appoint an interim manager, you're saying, I'm going to give it you know, till January, till the end of the season, so on and so forth, or they've appointed someone within, you know, two days. My argument would be if we have not got a plan beyond Phil Parkinson, where it's, right, we'll sack him and then we'll see who hands the CV in. No point. Because if you're sacking the manager, we're going to have to get someone in who we are, you know, pretty confident is going to do better than Parkinson. Now, there's probably a low bar at the minute, admittedly. But, You've got to look at the managers available, whether we could attract a manager from another club, whether we could afford it, so on and so forth. So if there is not a solid plan behind getting rid of Parkinson, especially with the January window coming up, then you've taken, you know, if appointing Parkinson was a risk, sacking Parkinson could well be a bigger risk if it's just, right, we'll sack them and then wing it after that. We can't do that. If it, if it goes, there has to be a plan. And that plan has to stem from, you know, again, what kind of manager are we looking at? And the manager who comes in really is going to have to have a shopping list, good to go, with two or three players he's very confident he's going to be able to get. In two or three players, he's going to be confident in moving on as well. So it would have to be, to sack him, it would have to be quite meticulously planned in quite a short space of time. And that would, that would probably, for me, be the only thing where if we did sack Parkinson, that would be my worry is what is the plan after that.
4: That's very interesting, yeah, um I think what it boils down to is that the principal reason for keeping him is that it seems a bit unfair to sack him after two months um so is that is that a good enough reason i it it's just it it's such a hard situation, so it seems unlikely now that they're going to move him on before the January transfer window, which has been very much trumpeted by everyone at the club over the past five, six weeks is it's all right january's coming we'll make it all better in january um and to pivot now as you just said there um to a different manager who may want different players it might already be too late for that to happen um that but the kind of big picture worry i've got is that this is all just sort of accelerating the league oneification of sunderland yeah mm-hmm. um Phil Parkinson, and this is not particularly having a go at Phil Parkinson, it's just his CV, he's an off the peg League One manager. That's yeah. what they brought in and there was a certain amount of logic to that. The problem is that some fans accept the reality of being in League One, but... I don't think they want it shoved down their throat. So if you appoint someone like Phil Parkinson, it's it's a very League One thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, give him some money to spend in January and all Sunderland fans will hope that things get a whole lot better and they bring in some good players. But what players is he going to bring in? What type of players? If He's going to bring in League One players, isn't he? Because that's yeah. that's what he knows. And it's just speeding up this League One-ification mm-hmm. of Sunderland. And it, it, it's hard because there's a certain strata certain level of managers that you can't really get because Sunderland are in League One mm-hmm. but I just wonder if there was a better balance to have hit with somebody who's a bit more aspirational but can still tackle the task at hand it's a difficult situation It just it's a sort of that weird thing everything about Sunderland being in League One is weird yeah. with the fan base and, and the stadium of light and that the, the, the see the sheer size and scale of it and it it's really hard to square the circle with any of it because they are in League One, so why not appoint a manager who's a specialist in League One? Yeah, but it just doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. and It's it's just odd. It's, yeah. a, it's an odd situation. It looks... He didn't turn up for his press conference and everyone got excited yesterday, but nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he will see it through to the end of the year. And if they're going to see it through to the end of the year, they're going to see him through January as well. And we'll just... Have to see whether the football club starts getting any better on the
1: pitch. Well but, we can still get a hundred points, I think. Uh, no, that's
4: gone now.
0: Yeah, that's gone. Oh what a shame. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was someone said to me and I don't know whether it was a criticism of Phil Parkinson or or whatnot, but he did make a point that you look at the clubs that Phil Parkinson has managed and then left. When Phil Parkinson has left, those clubs have seemed to go into a steady decline. I'm not saying he's, you know, he may or may not be the catalyst for that, but we've kind of seen it at Stoke as well with the, the Pulis style of football. And we have seen it with the other few other managers who have gone long ball. They've assembled teams specifically to play long ball. Mm-hmm. And then when that manager leaves, you're left with essentially a lot of just long ball footballers. And that system of play, for me, only has a finite lifespan anyway. I don't think long ball lasts much beyond beyond one or two seasons. You know, you saw Stoke hit a steady decline and then Pulis is left and the kind of you know, they're, they're still struggling, batting about the lower half of the championship and whatnot. Um, you know, everyone liked to oh well he done well at Bradford. Where are Bradford now? Have have Bradford yeah, really do, yeah. have Bradford really recovered from that? I mean, Bolton I mean, he was on a bit of a hiding and nothing with Bolton. But again, it kind of fell apart the seams there, mm-hmm. and so you know, I mean, what Charlton
1: I'm, have slowly managed to build themselves back up. They've got a new ones, they' got back to the uh-huh. championship. So it uh-huh. took them a long time, though.
0: Yeah, but that's but like, I see, I just I kind of feel like when you when you assemble a team that's primarily based around playing long ball footballers, it it does become fundamentally flawed pretty quickly mm-hmm. because you can get by with decent footballers, and you can add bits, you know and bits here and there but when you're asking six foot five blokes to start playing the ball along the floor it it just goes it just becomes a much bigger mess much much more quickly you know and you I think you see it quite a lot to say a step back from
4: that as well why appoint a manager who wants to play long ball football to, to manage a squad that is absolutely not set yeah, up well to that, play that sort that, of football
0: that was group, my sure. initial concern with Parkinson and I think a lot of people in the group shared it as well um you looked at the squad, it was it's a very technically gifted squad, I would say, still, is you have a lot of players who are very good with the ball at the feet. Uh Denver Hume's a very good attack and left back, I think. Mm-hmm. Defensively suspect. But players like Max Power who can get the foot on the ball and can really dictate dictate a game and, and drive a game forward. Will Gregg thrives off balls in and around the box along the floor. We've got, you know, Go- Gooch's Gucci's, you know, he's pacey, he's direct and Again, he's, but he's small and everyone's kind of small and built around being mobile and and playing the ball along the floor. So that, that was my initial query when Parkinson was appointed and that's why I always felt it was going to go wrong because we had this team where we knew we could play the ball along the floor because we did it in spells under Ross, neat triangles and whatnot. So then to go to that squad, right, now you're just going to get it and just smash it 50 yards up the pitch. It just—it was never going to work, and the only hope I had was, oh well, maybe he's going to, you know, tweak himself a little bit. We'll adjust to him, but he'll adjust to us, and it just—none of it's happened, has it? No. I'm not really sure what else to add. I mean, obviously, we had the Maguire, uh,
1: Magidi situation, and and Maguire, uh, despite the fact that we've heard about them two being particularly um, troublemakers, perhaps supposedly. Uh, Maguire played, McGee Magui- didn't, so I can only assume that maybe Maguire didn't
0: say something extra. That I think Maguire's a bit like Jamie Vardy, though, because he thrives off controversy, doesn't he? Jamie Vardy, when, yeah. whenever something happens off the field, Jamie Vardy's in there, bang, 10 goals in 10 games or something. And Maguire's like, I don't know if it's just me, but I mm-hmm. think it's that house ability. Is He's quite like that, so he did... He wasn't great yesterday, but he didn't have a bad game. Mm. You know, it was one of his better games this season, but you saw like last season, rocks up against Portsmouth when there's a bit of needle in that game. Mm. He was, you know, I remember last season in that, in the was it the Checker Trade when we played Newcastle? He had a bit of needle in that as well. It mm. just seems when things go a little bit against him, that's when players like him kind of step up with the plate. So I can see why he played him yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll move on to the
1: next game, which is the Boxing Day game versus Bolton. So you don't have any more games for Sunderland to ruin your Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. So that's wonderful.
4: Although by then they could be, uh, well, they, I think it's the joint lowest position in the club's history now, isn't it? And oh, yes. obviously we're not playing next weekend. They could officially be at the lowest position in the club's history. So you know,
1: there Merry Christmas, that,
0: yes. Merry yeah. Christmas. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, actually, well, before we get into the predictions, you did. I remember Tom, you did say before we're off air that I didn't realise this. Uh, is it uh, Sunderland have gone the longest they've ever gone? without winning away from home or getting a point away from
0: yeah, home. Yeah, I think it was uh, Phil Parkinson was the first Sunday manager to win either five or no, sorry, to lose either five yeah, definitely or, wasn't, yeah, or definitely wasn't yes, so. yes, to lose five is either five or six games in a row away from home and considering some of the managers yeah, and runs ridiculous. we've had that is pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. It's very worrying when you think about that like mm-hmm, really yeah. bad. Yeah. You know,
1: I mean I've had more we've had Oh, the list is endless, and it's just... <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Um, okay, anyway, we'll get to the predictions, and uh, we'll get it out of the way. We are playing Bolton on Boxing Day, Phil Parkinson's last team that he managed. As I said, you know, Poetic Justice usually comes back to bite Sunderland on the backside, and that would have been perfect for Grayson yesterday. As it is, we didn't lose, but we are playing a team who are really, really bad, and Sunderland usually struggle against teams that are really, really bad. So play Bolton and what are we expecting here a a nil-nil draw or you
0: know ambitious you know Uh, well I'm gonna be strangely optimistic which is not like me (laughs) um um, I honestly think the way we're playing and everything that's going on I think Bolton might come and have a little bit of a go I think they'll they might fancy trying to get something out of it especially against the odds Mm -hmm. um If they do that, I think that might help us a little bit because we do tend to struggle to break down teams who come and play for a point. Mm. Um, So I don't know, for some strange reason, I do think we might just, you know, two or three nil. I think we might, Mm. you know, it's not going to be a classic performance by any means. I'm not expecting to see good football, but I do think, yeah, I do think Bolton will come and fancy something and that might just help us out, you know, help us out a bit and open the game up a bit. So yeah, I kind of fancy two, three nil which I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Might still be pissed, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sam? Uh,
3: I, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I just, I can't, I can't for the lifers get rid of the memory of Bolton away that um that day and how bad we played and somehow we came away with a draw, but <laughs> no, I might, what Tom said might be quite interesting because it might open the game up if Bolton fancy it and they're playing sort of with a bit of freedom aren't they when they come up here mm-hmm. because they're not expected to so mm. the shackles are off really so it might be an entertaining game but uh, my heart says that but my head says uh, basically carbon copy of yesterday 1-1 one, one, or mm-hmm. a, a nil nil or something like that just to yeah. bring you back down to earth after you've had a bit of fun at Christmas really mm-hmm. yeah Simon I um, just actually looking at the league
4: table. Bolton are bottom, but they're not actually the worst team. South end of the worst team, because yes. um, Bolton had the points deduction at the start of the season. Um, the south end home game, which is one of Phil Parkinson's two league victories so mm-hmm. far as the manager, uh, actually that rang a lot of alarm bells for me because that was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, good goal from Luke, oh nine, to win it, but it, that one 0 win against a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful team. And I wonder if it might be something similar on Boxing Day.
0: Yeah, I remember yeah, Graham. I that, yeah. yeah, I remember Graham done the podcast for that South End game, the, the extra podcast, and there was something that rang true. like you said there rang, you know, had a long bells ringing for me. Is the South End fan said, if you don't win sort of three or four nil, there is something fundamentally flawed with your side. Because his we concede, he said South End concede one, and concede two, three, yeah. four within like ten fifteen minutes spells. And he said, "If you don't win three or four nil, there's something fundamentally wrong with your side there." And I think that was when the penny, for me anyway, really—I mean, the football was bad, but the penny dropped then. But I'm thinking mm. these are probably happy that they've only been beaten one nil. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: I'm, like End, I remember they're so so bad, yeah, were. And were. we only managed to scrape a one nil win. And I expect something similar uh, here, uh, Sunderland, maybe to win one nil. Very dull game. If not, Darren Murphy probably scores early on, and that'll be that um you can never really predict what Sunderland team's well you usually can't predict what Sunderland team's going to turn up at the moment we can seems to be the same team sort of same boring style of football and usually a defeat but um yeah Bolton Boxing Day enjoy Christmas and then just forget all about Sunderland is my advice and then we'll get back into that on the day after so what fun uh but uh, yeah that's all I've got I think for today uh we've had a bit of a different setup of being in a different studio so um yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I haven't stared at my phone all the time. Haven't been rude, lads, I've just been looking at my notes. Um, just to say, a lovely old school rug in yes. the middle of the
4: floor. It's been you know, it's <laughs> first time I've been involved in a podcast with a, a rug like this.
1: Yeah, so this is a perfect room for ever do SCFC, SCF SCFC. Uh, uh Rogue Report T V or something
0: like that. Could have, you know, this I, is the studio uh, we'd use. I think for the for the betterment of the audience it's probably best that we don't put really? our faces to the <laughs> to the vices. Yeah. Maybe just yes. Yes.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for coming, everyone. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Sam? No, thanks. Thanks very much.
0: And Tom? Yeah, it's been nice to have a twist.
1: (laughs) This has been Rogue Report. Thank you, Sunderland University, for providing us with facilities as well. This has been your Rogue Report with uh, your host, Johnny. And uh, have a very Merry Christmas, a very Sunderland less Merry Christmas.